friends and welcome to dj in real life this is your boy dj this is my real life on the internet or when one could call a real life on the internet when i initially started dj in real life i was hoping i would be more out and about in the world the big picture plan was to talk about current stuff going on with yours truly maybe making some history along the way and getting folks onto the show or behind the scenes that's still the plan but it's going to take a lot longer to get there because of the coronavirus pandemic as a result, I've had to switch things up and take a different route with the show for the time being, or at least until this coronavirus stuff starts to go away. Since opportunities to go the making history route are going to be few and far between, I decided to take a cue from my old blog and go the revisiting history route. I've already done that with some shows, looking at parts of my past with a few memories at as I remembered them, while also taking a harder, more raw look at many of them, and how those events still affect me today. That format will continue until, again, circumstances change, and that will be no different with today's show. Speaking of coronavirus, there was a recent report that possibly 50% of all bars and restaurants in the United States will close permanently within the next nine months due to coronavirus. One Akron night spot will be a certified casualty by the time you're hearing the show. Thursday's Lounge, a club on the edge of the University of Akron, has been around for decades, is getting set to close its doors for good. I've never actually been to the club itself, but my friend Micah Townsend was a longtime patron and employee at Thursdays. He had recently shared his reflections on his own 14-year tenure there. In doing so, it sparked the same for yours truly regarding several of the clubs I've hung out at. Now, I've already delved into my time at Park Alley during my early club-going days, so today I thought I'd follow that up with the next era at the place I would call my dance club home. That would be what I call the club dance era. Now, you're probably wondering, if this is supposed to be about the, quote, club dance era, unquote, then why is this episode called Bourbon Street? Well, club dance itself had two sides to it, with different themes on each side. One was the countryside, which the club was probably better known for. The other, the one I was a regular at, was the hip-hop side that had a theme reminiscent of Bourbon Street in New Orleans. That was why so many of us regulars on that side called it Bourbon Street, obviously. The club itself went through three iterations during the years I went there. It was club dance in the mid to late 1990s, but then the name changed to the Big Easy in the early 2000s, and then it became Screaming Lilies in the late 2000s until it closed down for good on July 4th weekend in 2013. Today, I'm going to start with a focus on my time when it was still club dance, which started sometime in mid to late 1996, I don't remember exactly when, and ended rather abruptly in November of 1998. I'll also get into the five-year period after that, and also touch on the last three months of 2003, a short time that crossed over with another named era I'll talk about on a future show, when some of my Acker peeps joined me in hitting up Bourbon Street when it was the Big Easy. I guess I'll start at the beginning. About a year removed from attending Ohio State as a full-time student, I was regularly going to a place off South Campus called Flyers, hoping to somehow rekindle the feelings I had there when the place was Park Alley. 
I did hang out with a few people that I still keep up with to this day, like Dave Mantle, Ron Metcalf, and Holly Harper. The place still looked the same, but the atmosphere wasn't even remotely close to what Park Alley had been. And it showed. I started going there in late 1994, after I broke up with that girlfriend of mine I talked about before on the show. But because of the drama that came from that, along with all the other crap affecting yours truly, as well as Flyers itself going downhill during the period I went there, by the middle of 1996, I was in a completely different headspace. I disconnected from a lot of things at Ohio State and many of the people there. I started feeling that if I wasn't going to be a part of Ohio State any longer, that I should start divesting myself and look elsewhere for a new life in general. That especially included nightlife, which at the time was one of the few stable things in my life. As stable as nightlife can be for someone. Anyway, from time to time, some of the people who I was still friends with then, such as Marcus Williams, Ron Reynolds, and Roger Bird, would talk about this place called Bourbon Street, while also mentioning Club Dance. At first, I thought they were talking about two different places, but eventually learned that they were one and the same. Again, I don't remember the exact day in 1996 I first went there, but I do remember I was still living on Lane Avenue at the time, across from campus, and was working on eventually moving out of the area. I also have a hazy memory of going to Flyers one night, and just getting so disgusted with the place and some of the people there, that I thought it was time to start looking for another spot, preferably away from campus. Even though Roger was on his last stretch himself as a regular club goer, I pretty much badgered him into going to this club. He and the other guys kept bringing it up. One night, he finally relented, and I went up with him for the first time. I believe that night, everything changed for me on so many levels. First, let me get into the general layout of the place. I already talked about the split in the country and hip-hop sides, but let me get into more about the Bourbon Street side specifically. At the front, there was the entrance, of course, but there was a small pizza joint right next to the entrance where people could go grab a slice of pizza. Once inside, there was a big bar to the right, and a room split off to the left where one would find stuff you usually find in a bar, like pool tables, a dartboard, a punching machine, and an arcade driving game, and closed with a two-seat booth. I wanted to note the booth in particular because it was notoriously known as a place for makeout sessions. How do I know that? Well, add a few of my own in there. And though I'm not a Casanova by any means, it amazes me to this day that even my overly insecure ass was able to get private makeout sessions with several different women in that booth. I really miss that booth. Anyway, the main dance floor is like an open and very spacious warehouse with a somewhat sizable stage where the DJ booth was set off to the side. There was a ton of room to dance and stand out, both on the main dance floor and the stage, which was taken advantage of often. There would be walkways added and various stage modifications done later on in the years, but in the 90s, it was just a stage and a DJ booth. That was the general layout of the place. To me, it was a breath of fresh air for what I experienced with campus bars, and something I knew from day one when I stepped into this club that it would definitely be my hangout for a long time to come. It wasn't just the actual physical place that kept me going there, obviously. The crowd there was just so alive for almost the entire time I went there, and most of the music was just bumping. I mean, there were times they played techno, which for the most part, most of the crowd would just mill about or sit down somewhere when it was played, including yours truly. But when it was banging, it was on. There were months, not just days or weeks, but months straight, when after a night was over, I would be dead tired from dancing so much. I was really into it there. Now, I am definitely not going to talk about this place without talking about the people who I either met there or already knew there beforehand. Many I would still hang out with at the drop of a hat if asked to do so today. I already mentioned Roger, God rest his soul, Ron, and Marcus, and I want to note that I brought Dave Mantle along soon after I started going there, and he stayed a regular there himself well after I left. 
There was Cheryl Wade, who I talked about before having just passed away a few months ago. Then there was Griff and Marcus Dillard, Andy, Joe Moore, Ernest, Paradise. Yes, there was a girl actually named Paradise. Jim Balmat, Andrea, Stacy. Don't know what happened to her. Andrea Ross, who was a bouncer there who joined up with us. Shane, DJ Legend, Trey, the DJ Bill. There's many more names, but those are the ones that are just off the top of my head. So if I forgot a name here or there, I apologize. Many in the group were calling themselves the Corporation, after the wrestling faction. But years later, since so many people joined up with us, I eventually came up with a name that better reflected what they were, at least to me, the crew. Now, of course, it isn't just the folks in the building that make a great club. The memories and experiences there, and even beyond related to the club, are extremely important to the atmosphere. Bourbon Street was no exception. Sure, there was the club drama. Occasional fights, friendships with ups and downs, couples breaking up and making up, the Barney Fife of a security guard acting as though he was more important than he actually was. You know, the usual. However, there were some pretty memorable moments there. There was the night several of us at the crew hung out at Griff's apartment before the club on the night Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear during that infamous boxing match. We were all just hooting and hollering during the entire bout, and that carried over to the club later on in the night. There was also the night when some WCW wrestlers stopped in, with Marcus Bagwell the most notable of the bunch. I note Bagwell specifically here because he tried to hit on Cheryl Wade, which was interesting as I'd never seen a celebrity hit on any of my friends before. That wouldn't be the last time that would happen at the club, as it happened again in 1998 when soap stars from the NBC Daydream Tour came through Columbus to the club. Folks like Jensen Ackles, who's better known for Supernatural, Randy Spelling, and Austin Peck came through that night, along with some actress I didn't recognize. It may have been Sherry Shaw or Brooke Kerr, I don't remember, who flirted super heavily with Marcus Williams. I don't think he minded that one bit. Anyway, there were other stuff that happened due to our club affiliation, like group trips to Lancaster to the old Desert Rose, and watching wrestling pay-per-views at the old Hooters, which was torn down only a few years ago off of East Main Street. This was the bulk of my social life for a good part of the late 90s, and I don't know what my life would have been like if it hadn't gone down. I'm still very thankful to the place and the people who were there at the time with me. Now, like all good things, it had to come to an end, and in my case it came rather abruptly in November of 1998. I got fired from a miserable job a couple months earlier where I had doubled the work of everybody else for no good reason other than, I believe, they could get away with it given my passive nature there. From there, things just fell apart. My self-confidence was pretty much destroyed by what happened at that old job, and it took everything I had to keep that stuff from affecting me at Bourbon Street. I also spent myself into debt, which resulted in a bankruptcy a few years later, just in order to keep up appearances and keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. I was also getting ghosted by several people who I was counting on and put my faith in, which didn't help my disposition. So in November, I terminated the lease on my apartment and moved back to Accra with my family without telling anyone in Columbus before I did so. I did go to the club about three weeks after that to tell folks what happened, and even had a couple offers to stay down there, but me being the martyr I am, I didn't want to burden anybody with my issues, so I turned them down. I was super determined to not put any burden of mine on my friends. The crew there meant too much to me to even think of laying any of my pain or anguish on them whatsoever, so I ended up keeping a lot to myself. To this day, I don't know what anyone's real, actual, individual reactions to my leaving were, but based on some stuff I learned later on, there seemed to be some bitterness. It was something I really couldn't help, especially given where my head and emotional state were at. And I don't think I did a good job of relaying that info because, quite frankly, I sucked at doing that at the time. It's something that still haunts me, the way things ended for me that first go-round in Columbus. In the time between the two stints I had in Columbus, at least in relation to Bourbon Street, I did try a couple of times to move back there, 
if only to try and get back with the crew, as the club was my only real motivation I had in my life at the time. The first time resulted in me leaving a friend behind, high and dry, something I regret to this day. The second came in 2000 as a result of me having a nervous breakdown a few months after I was threatened to be killed by some jackass handyman at a motel I worked at, where the straight-up, child-abusing asshole of a boss prioritized him working there over the value of my life. I lost it completely after that happened. I tried living in a hotel for a couple weeks in Columbus and staying at Roger Byrne's place for a couple nights, but I was in terrible shape at that point, and ultimately returned to Akron again, this time to finally get some professional help. I learned later on that many people from there started having some serious resentment toward me beyond the bitterness I seemed to sense, and started looking over their shoulders in regard to me after I tried moving there in 2000. Honestly, I shouldn't have been surprised at the reaction given my fragile state of mind at the time, but it still crushed me to realize that happened. Now, before I move on with the show, I need to admit something about what I felt about that resentment and bitterness from those folks in Columbus. Due to what I saw and what I was told, I became rather resentful and bitter myself. It hit me especially hard since I wasn't capable of doing anything about what happened way back when until I got professional help. The fact that I've historically had a hard time getting straight answers from people, or had people not be straight up with me, especially didn't help me in that regard. To say I was bitter and angry is an understatement. That stuff spilled over and poisoned so many areas of my life in Columbus that I left there for good in 2011. It got that bad for me. These days, I like to say the first time around, I left Columbus but the second time around, Columbus left me. This is one of the reasons I hate it when people tell me I look at the past with rose-colored glasses or that I treat people like it was still back in the day, because I didn't. All the resentment was one of the reasons why I didn't. This may be the first time some of my Columbus peeps are hearing this, but I didn't say anything before because I didn't want to hurt those who still give a damn about me or still consider me a friend. I want to hold on to them, even as I move forward to where I'm hoping to be. But because I want to move forward, I'm letting the bitterness and resentment go on my end, and I'm hoping that gets reciprocated by those who felt that way themselves toward me. I'm no longer letting it undermine all the good memories and friendships I had at Bourbon Street. Life is too short for that. It's time to move on. I may have been raised in Akron, but a lot of my roots lie in the experiences during the club dance era, and I will no longer let them be poisoned by that bitterness. Moving on. Oh yeah, I said I was going to talk about the latter part of 2003 in regard to Bourbon Street. Before I knew anything about some Columbus folks' feelings on yours truly, I raved about my time at club dance to several of the friends I made at a club in Akron called the Harry Buffalo. There's one in Westerville now, and it's the same chain, but the one in Akron is more of an actual club. Anyway, my Akron peeps were souring on the Buffalo, and I started trying to convince them to take a trip to Columbus to check out Bourbon Street, then part of the Big Easy. Now, many of you know how exuberant I could be when describing some things, and Bourbon Street was no exception. My peeps thought I was overselling the club. It took some doing, but I was able to get two of my friends, Stan and Daryl, to come down to Columbus with me on a late September Saturday night. Those two discovered that night that I wasn't overselling the club, I was underselling it. That should give you all an idea of how great of a time they had that night, as they got their first taste of the kind of experience I had during my time there. The following weekend, eight of us went down there and the good times continued. That went on for another three months of Saturdays for the rest of the year, until I finally moved back to Ohio State to get my degree. It affected a few of them so much that several of those Akron peeps moved down there to make lives for themselves. Something else I've never revealed before is that I have this ongoing dream where I would bring people from different backgrounds, different areas, etc. together to do great things or have great times, leading to and making things, and life, even grander, and keeping that going in perpetuity. 
Yes, that is a word. Go look it up. Anyway, it's something I think about and dream about almost all the time. What I talked about earlier with bringing my acro peeps to Bourbon Street was that dream made real. It may not have had any perpetuity to it, but just seeing such a thing happen means it can happen again. The reason I bring this up here is that I want folks to know that I won't be living in Ohio forever. I've been working on moving away for years now, and it still might be some time before that becomes reality, but I'm working on it. I'm keeping where I want to move to myself for now, so for those who know where I want to go, please keep it to yourselves until the time it actually happens. One of the reasons I want to do this is to see if I can set this dream up where I'm planning to make a life for myself, and maybe make it the main focus of my life, if it's possible. Where I want to take DJ in real life does factor into this as well. A lot of this is rooted in the good times I had during the club dance era, and I am hoping that, once I get things going, that it becomes a legacy that takes the best of what so many of us who went to Bourbon Street brought to the table back in the day, and creates a better, longer-lasting legacy from it. I don't know if it will include an actual dance club or not, but what I'm looking to do with this concept is encompass the kind of camaraderie and experiences I had at Bourbon Street and take them with me to see if the greatness I experienced there can happen elsewhere. If I can make that happen, wouldn't that be an amazing thing to behold? On that optimistic note, I think it's time to bid you all adieu. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to DJ in Real Life on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Instagram, and the YouTube channel. You can also connect through social media to the show's Twitter and Facebook pages. DJ in Real Life is produced by Hillbilly Vampire Productions, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Until next time, folks, this is your boy DJ saying take care, God bless, and don't let other folks' bad memories ruin your good ones. Goodbye, everybody.